yeah, absolutely. Okay, hi everyone, good afternoon. Um, I'm Neil Austin, I'm the Vice President of Real Estate at the Omnicom Group, and I'm also the current Chair of the New York Chapter uh, of Cornet. Thanks so much for registering today for this great panel discussion. The Rise of Suburbia is a hub-and-spoke model realistic. I'm sure you'll find this very interesting and topical. I certainly will be, and it's certainly a topic that I've been considering uh, with my own company all around the world. Uh, as you're aware, this is another virtual event, uh, which we've become very familiar with over the last year, but I can confirm as a chapter, we are definitely working on in-person events and meetups all the time. And we've already had some meetups, and we do have the chapter awards and the golf days coming up very, very soon. So hopefully we'll be seeing you face-to-face uh, -face, uh, and learning and networking together uh, as soon as possible. Uh, I really hope you enjoy today's event, and now it gives me great pleasure to hand over to Stephen, who will go through the housekeeping and introduce the great panel that we have today. Please enjoy. Thanks. Right, thank you, Neil, and welcome everyone to today's panel titled Rise of Suburbia, is Hub and Sport Model Realistic, a topic that has received increased attention over the last 15 months. I'm Stephen Coulthard, part of the Senior Management Group of Cumming Corporation and Chair of Cornet New York Chapter's Strategy and Portfolio Planning Committee, where we focus on issues real estate leaders need to know to talk to their businesses. Today, we have a very packed call, which we've divided into thirds. Our opening third, our panel will present data used to assess whether a hub and spoke model is appropriate for a business. In the middle third, we will break into a moderated panel discussion with our end users. And in the final third, our moderator will facilitate an open Q&A where he will invite members of the audience to turn on their cameras and ask the questions they raised in the chat. Usual rules apply. Given the Q&A, we don't have full control of your audio and video, so please keep them turned off unless invited to ask a question by the moderator. So back to today's topic, you can look forward to data and perspectives on whether a hub and spoke model is right for your business, about optimal locations to base employees and operational efficiencies of a dispersed portfolio, and how the pandemic has impacted the workforce and workspace supply. Our panelists today are James Rankin, who leads the research and insight group at the Instant Group, who provides flexible workspace such as serviced co-location, co-working, sorry, and managed offices to clients in over 150 countries. Mark Hudson, Director of Transactions and Development at Verizon, overseeing 800 transactions annually, as well as the firm's ground-up real estate development and joint venture activity. Michael's team analyzes opportunities across Verizon's 100 million square feet real estate portfolio. John Sacklerides, who goes by SAC, who is responsible for all of Wells Fargo's non-real estate transactions for Eastern US, Canada, Europe, Middle East, and South America. And finally, to our moderator today, David Hickey, who is Managing Director of Hickey Associates, a global leader in location strategy, labor analytics and economics, and economics incentives advisory. And with that, I will hand over to David. Thank you. Enjoy the panel. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Stephen. Excited to be here today and, and be with all of you on, on certainly a, quite a robust and at times a, even a controversial topic um, as we dig into. We uh, certainly encourage everyone, as Stephen just you know, worked through the, 
um, some of that housekeeping there is, is have an engaging conversation. Um, and we want to start that off with a brief presentation, really reviewing what some of this data, some of these findings are, and those key insights from the recent report that did alongside our good friends at the Instinct Group and, and James Rankin, uh, Rise of Suburbia. Can a hub and spoke model really work? Um, and really here we want to just, just spend a handful of minutes talking through what some of the data is, what some of those findings were, why we actually even started this um, and we did this, this study together. So I will, um, I will turn it over before we get into the moderator panel, I'll turn it over to James um, who will lead it and, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll share this, this exciting data. Thank you. David. So yeah, I mean, to kick things off, I mean, let's put, put some perspective on this. I think we started this over six months ago, kind of really in the heart of the pandemic when everyone was still very much kind of working from home and people were talking about disaggregated working models and common spoke models. And we wanted to really approach this um, and look at what the real life kind of case study would be for a business um, if they were to go down this approach. What does it mean for them and what does it mean for their people? And ultimately, we expect change to take place. Um, and we certainly sort of don't have all the answers. I think anyone that tells you they do is, is uh, well, I won't say anything too impolite. But I think the, the thinking behind our research really lies in using a data-based approach to identify locations that are suitable for teams and individuals to kind of congregate on a more regular basis, um, while occasionally sort of traveling into a central head, head, headquarters location and on occasion also working from home. Um, the idea behind our thinking really was that many employees are going to be sort of less willing to travel back into a central office on a regular basis, given what they've gone through over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. And those, some of those things we'll, we'll outline later on. But at the same time, companies and employers you know, really want to maintain a sense of community, of company culture, and actually within their business sort of ena uh, enable um, the collaboration element, which has been lacking. Sort of, I think most people have felt to be lacking over the last, I'd say, 12 to 18 months. While sort of co-working locations exist in many sort of suburban locations, they tend to focus on sort of the freelancers and the entrepreneurs and, and not really the corporate employee. And frankly, they can be just as noisy as, you know, um, or more noisy and disturbing than working from home in most cases. So we wanted to sort of understand what these locations might be and what the real estate um, uh, options are within them. So I think a rise, you know, the rise of suburbia or disaggregated working models that aren't new concepts. Um, you know, the sign that I'm showing here from the 1950s sort of indicates that at least for a handful of decades, we've seen gradually seen this sort of expansion, um, certainly in a residential perspective outside of city centres. One area of commercial real estate that's sort of not really gone that way is, is, is the workspace or the office environment, which is, you know, traditionally being driven by... Um, large investments in city centre locations for a number of you know, great reasons, particularly centralisation um, around travel hubs. Um, but there's other, other sort of areas that maybe don't, you know, aren't, aren't as relevant today. One of those would be you know, um, advertising or building uh, your company from the top of a tall building, which in today's world of, of marketing, online marketing and, and, um, and digital presence is, is less valuable than maybe what it used to be sort of years ago. Ultimately, the approach that we were kind of looking at was shifting the focus from place property to people. Um, and the approach that we've taken in this sort of case study and this report firmly puts the people or the employees at the start of the journey. 
so very briefly, we'll, we'll, I'll touch on this slightly later on, but why, you know, why should we be considering maybe changing models or why were people talking about it? I think ultimately it can be split into two different ways. On, on one side, you've got the individual. And again, we'll go into some detail about what the benefits are, but depending on where they're located, there's significant time saving likely to be achieved. There's significant cost saving. Um, increasingly, there's importance being put on um, sustainability and the, and the cost to the environment for travel. Um, overall, it's an improved work-life balance uh, and wellness. On the business side, I think there's some big things. Cost saving is certainly one of them, but, but shouldn't be looked at as, as the, the primary factor. There is definitely benefits to improved staff retention um, and attraction, which ultimately has cost aside to it as well. But I think more importantly, it can allow companies to hold a, a more agile approach to their portfolio, um, allowing them to make change and react to changing market environments going forward. So those were the sort of the drivers that we were looking at um, when we sort of kicked off this report. So before I pass over to David, um, and I think we've got sort of a poll function within, the, within this um, topic today, but we wanted to get some feedback from, from all the people listening. Um, and uh, ultimately wake people up, I guess, um, to just ask what you feel will be sort of some of the, the bigger trends that we'll see in workplace strategy over the next three years or in the, in the next couple of years. We've kind of put a couple, uh, I think six examples up here. We've got sort of an increase in homeworking, increased provision of closer to homeworking, um, negative impact on megacities, um, a change in workplace design, you know, increased use of serviced or co-working spaces um, and employee concentration risk assessment becoming more popular. So it'd be great if, if um, people can kind of just feed in their thoughts and, and we can sort of look at those and touch on them maybe in the panel as we go through later on in the session. think that should be shared. I, I can't see the results, so I'm hoping David can, and you can pick them up in the panel if so. If not, we'll um, share them with the audience. Um, there we go. So I think the, the overriding factor there is the increase in, in homework, which we're all sort of, I think, starting to hear within our businesses. Um, we've got a big kind of change or movement towards the change of workplace design, which again is something that we're here working with um, companies on, on their strategies, and which is in terms of how do you maybe increase sort of certain behavioral presence um, or behaviors within your workplace? Or how do you encourage certain um, activities? Interestingly here, we've got the, you know, the increase in provision of close to homeworking, which is really sort of what the report was, was going on is, is relatively low, just 5%. Um, that's changed, I think, over the last, as I say, six to eight months, we've done this report. We launched this, um, both in the UK and in Singapore um, a number of months ago, and there was more support for that. I think as we're sort of starting to get people back into the offices, that mindset is starting to change and, and the focus is very much of how do we um, get people back in and then we can take a breath and figure out what we're going to do next. So David, just passing over to you and if you're happy to sort of take through some of the, the attributes that we sort of looked at in terms of how do we decide on where different locations might be suitable. Yeah, thank you. And really what, what we've done what in, in discussing and in taking on the study in the first place was really to, to drive the process, the understanding within a, from an empirical approach. 
and to really look at the different data sets and, and drill in through the analytics to understand what, what is that value in doing a hub and spoke? What is that value in, in even evaluating this model um, as part of the business and in doing it, whether we're in a pandemic, we're not in a pandemic, we're status quo, whatever that might be, what are those main drivers? And so every time we build one of these models and we look at and uh, doing these different analyses, we'll different ways that it's shaped and the different attributes that'll play and what those weighting that criteria is. For this particular study, um, what we did together was we, we focused on 20 represented global markets, of course, New York City being one of those, and really looked at those that were established innovation hubs, high growth markets um, for the future. And many of those markets that we would benchmark, not that anyone can benchmark New York City, um, but we certainly would as from a global perspective. And we're looking at the different roles and different people, different individuals that you're looking for into the future. Um, and then drill down from there. So within the market itself, so through greater New York City area, where would be some of those, those sub-markets, those, those core areas that would be most advantageous perhaps for a hub and spoke type of approach. So we looked at it from a commute time element, in, in relatively heavy. And as we talk about some propensity and we'll talk as we go forward, what is the share of population? For this particular study, many we're doing today, many we had a conversation yesterday, more on the Gen Z, the millennials. For this particular report on some of the younger millennials and, and up from there, some of that more um, management to executive level uh, talent is what that basis for that 35%. Also looking at income, what is some of that medium household income and quality of life and cost of living? Um, and then focusing on some of those skills itself. So what are the types of roles? What are those types of, not the industry, but the actual skills and skill sets that are in place and where do they reside? Where are those in, on an individual basis? Driving someone on, on where the business is, but really what is that focus on, on where that talent actually lives? And that's both on an occupation base and then as well as the concentration. So how dense, are those roles in those particular locations, among a number of others, walk, bike, mode shares, some of the urban rail crowding, um, maybe not as much of a challenge as it was two years ago, but certainly an element, growth rates, and others based on the cohort here. So before we sort of dive into the, the outcomes and the findings, um, we wanted, to, I just wanted to sort of touch on what we're seeing kind of now, what we have been seeing, and why this was sort of relevant. Ultimately, it was because we were seeing quite a strong rise in sort of secondary markets and suburban markets over the last 12 months from a demand perspective. So um, the suburban locations around New York um, within sort of an hour, an hour and a half radius, we're seeing a dramatic increase in um, the demand for flexible working coming through our business. That was the same across Europe, as other U uh, US cities and also made many uh, major APAC markets. In the US specifically, that sort of trend was taken one step further where we were seeing far larger demand growth um, in markets such as Denver and Austin, sort of lifestyle cities, than we were seeing in markets such as San Francisco and New York, which were the traditional sort of big corporate hubs. And when we started to sort of dig into that in more detail, not only were we seeing demand sort of rising in, in those markets, but we we're also seeing rates stay relatively stable or increase. Whereas in somewhere like San Francisco or New York, um, the rates were taking a, a dramatic decline as the, the demand dropped off in, in the wake of the pandemic. Now, some of those trends are starting to change in New York. I'm glad to say, and glad to say, and glad to see we're starting to see some of that um, come back. But in other markets such as San Francisco, you know, it looks to be a long time um, before we start to see 
stabilization um, and certainly growth um, coming back into the market. So that was sort of what led us down this approach was this really kind of drive um, from um, a flexible market perspective on where people were looking for space. So David, just, just passing back over to you. Yeah, great. Thank you. Just as an item of uh, quick housekeeping, uh, please utilize the chat function to all the attendees um, to ask questions and, and we'll engage and, and make this very interactive session um, here in just a little bit. So please, as we go along, um, you can post those questions in the chat feature, which you should all find in the bottom center of your screen in the Zoom platform here. So what we're looking at right now is, is a mobility report. And for those within, um, within the New York City area and really anywhere um, over the past year and a half, uh, much of this shouldn't be a great surprise, um, but you can start to see over time, um, how much that shift and, and where individuals in New York City, greater area, greater metro area have been spending their time and where they have been spending their time and also how they've been mobile, how have they moved or have they not? Um, and you can see that it is pretty clear, um, you know, when the first onrise of the pandemic, they're in mid-March, um, patient zero. And as we move forward, um, you can see that sharp drop off. Um, when that attendance rate uh, dropped off significantly, uh, workplace down more than 70%. This is overall mobility. So um, most of that workforce and workforce that we um, work with on a daily basis, while significantly more on that replacement of um, at home and being at the residence. And you can see that now over time that is leveled off. You can see historically as well where some of those dips are, um, where we have holidays, where we have other days. Um, where that mobility and, and where that drop-off occurs. And you can see how that has con continued. And still today, many would debate this, but we're still 30% below usage, um, probably much higher than that, depending on the role, depending on the occupation in the industry sector that you're in. Uh, but these are certainly, as, as we looked at this and, and built this out over historical time, and this is looking at March to, to basically um, just up to the July 4th holiday, um, where that is in those trend lines. And while the trend lines have started to return, um, it is still far off from anything normal. Um, the crystal ball, and I'm sure as the questions will be now going forward is, you know, where does this now go from here? And how quickly does that return? So when we start looking at this idea of the hub and spoke, and looking at where are these opportunities um, from especially focus on a talent basis, to be able to capture these employees. And it's, it's really a combination of, you know, where the density of, of that talent, what is the commute times, those commute time challenges, when it looks at coming into traditional midtown, downtown, coming into a Grand Station, Grand Central, a Penn Station and the like, um, versus if they didn't have to, uh, or from short-term or one of these hybrid approaches that we, we talk to, we hear about every day, um, and some of that closer to work, closer to home. Um, and where could these best opportunities be into the near future? Now, again, the hub and spoke model is not a new concept um, to New Yorkers, you know, as the approach and as, as we do have suburban campuses all throughout, depending on whichever direction you go in out of the city. Um, but now looking at it again, and perhaps in a different approach and, and what James is speaking to, and, and perhaps, you know, on a service office or, or my temporary or workspaces and the like. So when we start looking at that and start looking at, at some of the data and building in, so here on an age cohort perspective. Um, so when we look at that millennial base and really the, the, the younger side 
um, of that millennial base, you can see a lot of that concentration, uh, particularly in the workforce, is pretty close and well within the city, um, not as much as we go further out. And a lot of this workforce we look at today is, is very finance-based as well, just as, as we wanted to identify and, and drill into an occupation and sector set as, as we discussed earlier. Um, so you can start to see you know, where that is. Now, if you go to the next slide, um, you can then start to see the flip. And as the age cohort begins to continue to get older and that, that finance workforce certainly starts expanding out. And so being as focused and, and core to the center, but going out to the, to the suburbs more into that realm and into that natural. Now we saw in these past 18 months, perhaps the speed of some of that also uh, um, uh, expeditious on some of the younger side and that data is still being ironed out and, and being released, but, but pretty fascinating. And then as we go forward, um, and we start seeing, okay, well, where is that? Um, sorry, one slide back. Um, so where are those actual finance occupations? Where are those heavy densities and concentration of where these individuals live? And now you can you can start to see that. Now there are a lot that, that still live in the city and work within the sector, um, but you can start to see those, those concentrations as you go further out. So when we dug in, we looked at all the different models and the perspective we looked at before, what are some of those sub-markets which would be most keen and most set for you know, some of these opportunities to be in a hub and spoke set. That combination of a, a longer commute time into the CBDs, the traditional markets of Manhattan uh, versus in the better, more optimal location for that hub and spoke. You can see we looked at it from a car perspective, from a public transport, and then as well as some of these other cohorts, looked at the median housing income and blended this into the model. And what are three of those? Not to say that the top three necessarily, but where they came out here, um, one to the east and, and looking at Huntington and out from that perspective and, and that time to come into the city and those that did that on a daily basis know it very well. Um, of course, a shift to more of a hybrid, whether that's a two day, a four day, however that might be, but having that spoke. Um, looking even down towards Trenton and into that direction. And in that sense, also expanding some of that labor pool and that opportunity. We don't talk that much about it in this report, uh, but when we start looking at and in, in today, and then a lot of our clients are starting to realize is as we can expand and, and look at some of this hub and spoke is even further on the, the, some wage savings as well. Some of those cost of living challenges and in the other direction, um, you know, looking up north you know, towards a NIAC and where some of that opportunity could be. Now, in many of you on, on this call today within your portfolio may very well have office locations um, in these different markets and, and know it well, and know some of those great opportunities as well as some of the challenges that can be presented. Um, but part of this and part of this exercise as well was a look at you know, what about in the new world, in this new environment, and you know, perhaps as a service office solution um, that could work in some of these markets that aren't as busy, that aren't as attractive today. Um, and certainly happy to dig in more, uh, more of this certainly in the, um, um, in the report as well. I'll turn it back over to James. I'm just conscious of time and getting onto the panel. So I'm just going to very quickly touch on the, the last two slides, which is sort of what the benefits from the company and the employee, uh, employee I should say, are in sort of looking at this, this approach. Um, in the case study, in this particular one, we looked at the financial sector using kind of a company of around 600 employees an office space of 600 uh, employees in the financial districts of Manhattan. Um, and just breaking down against those sort of um, locations, those four locations that uh, David mentioned came out highest in the report. And, and the top line, you know, stats are there are cost savings, as you'd expect by moving outside of New York, but they're actually quite significant, um, particularly if you then start adopting 
um, sort of flexible and agile workspace um, models where you don't have to invest in higher headcount to run those spaces. Um, you're saving on your capex, um, and you don't have, you know, you've got kind of standardized or fixed costs throughout the lifetime of, of that tenancy. So what we were seeing in a top line sort of uh, view is about an 18% saving for an employer by putting 50% of their workforce into these sort of four spoke locations that we'd identified rather than the financial district of Manhattan. On top of that, you've got sort of the or harder to quantify benefits, such as the, the increased sort of staff and retention. You've expected to have higher productivity given the research um, that we've, 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 we've seen, which indicates that those people that um, you know, are saving an hour to two hours on a commute are, are spending maybe 40% of that working um, rather than just sort of using it as leisure time. But on top of that, you've also got you know, your, your agile element, which should theoretically deliver savings going forward. From a personal perspective, and I think this is almost more important, certainly with CEO surveys sort of now suggesting that, that people are the number one concern. And I think the spotlights now never be brighter on the employee productivity and employee wellness. Um, we wanted to understand what the savings were from the employee's perspective. Um, the top line, you know, three elements that I mentioned before, well, across those four locations, you're looking at um, over an hour and a half commute a day, so, which, is, which is quite significant when you think about that over a year. I think it's a roughly about 35 working days that you're asking an individual to give to their company in commute time. Um, savings wise, maybe it's less important, but it's still a factor, I think, which is nearly four and a half thousand dollars that individuals would save. Um, that's by commuting by public transport. Um, and if you were looking to do that in, in your car, you're probably looking on average around 12,000 miles um, if you're doing that every single day, which again, from an environmental factor is something companies again are starting to pay more attention to. So ultimately that all feeds into hopefully uh, a more um, happy, more engaged workforce with a better um, sort of overall wellness factor which should um, pay out from a company perspective. So. The, the, the thing that we haven't touched on, but we cover off in the report, uh, I want to get over to the panel, is, is sort of the real estate sector ready for such a move? So the short answer in every market we looked at is no. There are small co-working spaces, um, but the quality of corporate friendly, shall we say, agile space or corporate ready traditional space is very, very limited. In Manhattan, we looked at if just 3% of um, which is still a large number, but 3% of the um, current um, office workforce in Manhattan looked to move to suburban markets. The suburban real estate market would be completely overwhelmed um, and, and wouldn't be able to cope. So it, it, it's a shift, but that's not a huge shift if you think about percentage price. Um, and that was sort of mirrored um, at a global level across all the markets we looked at, which is any more than sort of 5% swing, um, these suburban markets just wouldn't be able to cope given the lack of investment that has been sort of seen over the last couple of decades. So on that note, um, I'm gonna pass over to the panel um, and back to David. Um, if anyone wants sort of more information, I'll, I'll post a link to the, the full report that you downloaded in the chat. David, over to you. Great, thank you. Thank you, James. And, and just to uh, a couple of quick questions that did come from in the audience regarding the report. The one regarding um, one of the, uh, uh, the numbers on the, the headers, I, I think we may have transposed, but it's uh, related to the finance occupations that are listed there. Um, and then a great question um, 
on uh, traffic rates and, and looking at public transport it also looks at traffic and, and whether or not some of that has returned. Um, and any one of us that have driven into the city rate lately um, and has tried to cross points like the Williamsburg Bridge or the Brooklyn Bridge um, certainly sees that a lot of that traffic is back. Um, and in fact, in some of the corridors is, is higher than some of the pre-pandemic levels. Um, and I saw a data point the other day that um, uh, several months ago, it took uh, buses were moving within the city at nine and a half to 10 miles an hour on average, and now are back um, and in some places lower than it was during the pandemic at, at just over eight miles an hour. So um, as that shows, and as it shows some of the commute trends, it's um, uh, pretty fascinating um, to say the least. So um, please do ask, ask more questions through the chat function and, and we'll engage that. But let's, let's hop into the panel. So I'm excited. Uh, Mike, Zach, and, and James here and, and getting in. And, and um, one of the questions, just to, to jump right into it, um, you know, we'll start with you, Mike. Yeah, so if you tell us, and for those that, that um, have the opportunity to work with you before, um, what is your role at Verizon and you know, how has, during COVID, how has some of that changed and, and the approach? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys for having me. Um, certainly a topic that we've been following uh, very diligently for the last 18, 18, 24 months even. And I oversee Michael Hudson, uh, Director of Real Estate Transactions and Joint Ventures for Verizon. So I oversee our, uh, the, the asset management of our 100 million square foot portfolio and about 801,000 transactions per year. Um, uh, so, so we're busy. Uh, how has that role changed during COVID? Um, you know, it hasn't, you know, very, very simply, we have been working on a hypothesis for a number of years that, you know, to make the workplace purposeful, you have to make the workplace the destination. You have to entice employees to want to come to the office. Technology has been enabling us for years to work, you know, remotely, to work in a variety of different ways. And we've really leaned into the hub and spoke topic that we're speaking to today in the sense of create a workplace where people want to come and you will drive high attendance and you will drive the high collaboration that leads to the business outputs you're looking for. So um, if anything, it's been an accelerant of our strategy. Um, we really haven't shifted in the way of how we think through um, either the hub or the spoke markets. Very good, thank you. Zach. Hey, good to be here with all of you. Boy, I look forward to um, seeing all of you in person. Um, glad to see the light at the end of the tunnel here. But um, hopefully this is the last virtual event we get involved in. But I'm John Sacleritis. I go by SAC. I'm with Wells Fargo and I'm responsible for our non-retail transactions in the eastern half of the United States, as well as Europe, Canada, and South America. It's about a 45 million square foot or so portfolio. But um, in any case, um, from our standpoint, I, we haven't, um, the, the biggest change that I see that uh, during this pandemic was that we opted not to renew when some leases came up. Our leadership just was unclear of how long this would last and um, what the future held. So we opted uh, just not to renew several leases. Uh, the thinking was that that space will likely still be there in the not too distant future should we want to come back. Um, and in fact, that's what's taken place. So we, we opted out of renewing um, many locations. Uh, everybody continued to work from home. 
we came back and, and uh, we're now in the process of renewing some of these leases, albeit at a shorter term than we would have otherwise done. Still a little unsure of what the return to office is going to hold. Um, we, boy, we, we're digging in big time at uh, how to orchestrate that return to office and what requirements, if any, we're going to place on folks um, on the amount of flexibility that, that our leadership will allow. And we've, I've already seen our leadership and God bless them. I mean, they're trying to manage 220,000 people from, and doing all sorts of jobs, uh, job functions and how they're going to uh, approach this. So it's been um, vacillating sort of back and forth, want to be office centric, then want to peel back on that just a touch to allow a little more flexibility. Personally, I think that it, it, it's going to be a flexible model. Uh, I like Mike's term that he referred to earl, earlier, an accelerant. Um, this, uh, the pandemic, we view this, uh, where I've seen it as an accelerant to um, an approach that we were already undertaking in our uh, layouts and how we approach the hybrid work. Um, now everybody has learned how to do it. So it's, it's much easier and it's much faster to get there. Okay, very good, thank you. So I, um, you know, as I, I sit here today, I'm in, I'm in North Williamsburg working from here. Uh, Mike, I believe you're in Brooklyn as well. Um, you know, out of the, we hear a lot of talk, you know, it's not out there of, of return to, to Manhattan. Uh, some of his conversations about a midtown, downtown Hudson Yards and, and some of the other traditional markets. Do you see your organization making any kind of additional shift or, or strategy outside of those traditional markets? And besides your organization, otherwise, do you see COVID driving some of that as well to a Long Island city? You know, I see a, a Williamsburg, a Dumbo, um, Jersey City and others um, driven through and, and due to the pandemic as well. Not, not particularly. When we think about the hub nature of that portion of our of our of our portfolio, we're 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 trying to accommodate a multi generational workforce. So I think the slides you guys showed in the report were very demonstrative of exactly that. That you have millennials that are more um, city centric and the older generations that are maybe have moved out to the suburbs. They need to counter to everybody. Where I think that has shifted is you have new centers of gravity. You're no longer focused on Midtown Manhattan or Wall Street, you have the, the advent of Hudson Yards, you do have um, different pockets of uh, Manhattan that are that are expanding, that are changing, that are transforming, that that really build in and lean towards, you know, for us as, as a Tammy tenant, that experiential multi, um, uh, multi-use functionality with a, with, a, with a ton of amenities that, that cater to that, that wide, uh, you know, we're not looking for just the 22 year old engineers, and, and the, the 50 plus CEOs, it's, it's how do you bring both attract and retain that top talent? And it's bringing a little bit of everything for everyone and finding that mixture. We don't want to isolate the suburban uh, habitants by going to a Dumbo as much as I love it, a little hard to get to from a, from a central New Jersey or Connecticut. So when we think about the hub piece of that strategy, it's really on how do you accommodate the largest breadth of, of, of employee base and and you know, providing that employee base, creating and curating an ecosystem around the, you know, an opt-in mentality where you can 
do everything you want to do. You, you mentioned before being able to work out, being able to have that downtime, um, eating healthy that maybe we weren't doing as much when we were going from train to plane to the office space from meeting to meeting to meeting, you're grabbing something on the go, but how do you find the space and partner with the landlords that are developing and, and rethinking and reimagining their, you know, their, you know, urban campuses or, or in the some semi-urban areas that have a little bit more space like a Chicago or a Dallas, um, how are you thinking through that mixed use nature? So when we think about Manhattan to, to circle back to the, to the question, it's really focused on being within, within the island of Manhattan, um, but where we're thinking about those locations aren't necessarily in the maybe antiquated traditional um, uh, you know, sub-markets within, within the island. Yeah, from, from our standpoint, uh, Wells Fargo, where we've got 80 some odd million feet uh, globally, it's, um, you know, you, we kind of scratch our head and say, well, what is a hub and spoke when we've got you know, millions of feet in the Philippines and millions of feet in India? Um, traditionally, not traditionally, but factually, <laughs> we were not born and raised in New York City. Although we have a major presence there, we're just a small uh, percentage uh, compared to our peers like City and J.P. Morgan and B of A, all of whom were born and raised in, in Manhattan. Well, B of A may not have been born and raised, but they did pick up Merrill Lynch, which was a major presence that they had in, in New York. So we have um, uh, grown organically on a front office basis in Manhattan, such that we're, we have a million square feet in, in Manhattan and, and two primary hubs, one at Hudson Yards and one at Grand Central, um, each of about a half million feet or so. And those are front office operations and, and some of the support functions that they need to have close by technology, legal risk, whatever it is, uh, real estate. <laughs> um, so they're, they're relatively close by, but our biggest hubs are gonna be in places like Phoenix, Minneapolis, Des Moines, Charlotte. And that's where we've grown. I sit here in Charlotte where we've got 27,000 uh, employees here. So in, in, a, in a market as small as Charlotte, we, we employ, I would call it a sub, hub and spoke strategy where we've got a couple, three, three, four million feet in the uh, center city of uh, Charlotte. And then we've got uh, three or four million feet in suburbia uh, based in two or three sort of campus-like settings. So that affords, I know it sounds funny for the New Yorkers because <laughs> the commutes here aren't even close to what uh, you guys experience, but it provides uh, a nice little plume of uh, recruiting areas where we can bring folks uh, into the office. So all, all of that um, is maintained and we don't see, um, I don't see, some of the stuff is just me talking. Um, I know it'll shock you to know that our uh, leadership doesn't allow me into the room when they're making these decisions, but they, they uh, um, I don't see us peeling back on New York one bit. If anything, it'll go the other way. Maybe you have um, heard that, and I don't know what constitutes a headquarters. Certainly some of it is legal in nature and some of it is uh, practical in nature. Well, legally our headquarters is in San Francisco. Practically our entire C-suite sits at Hudson Yards. So you tell me where our headquarters is, but um, that has taken place over the course of the last 18 months or so. And as you 
probably know that that has a certain gravitational pull to it. And um, we will likely experience some, some of that. And depending on how we utilize our space uh, in the future, I, I, don't, I don't see any, any change in our, uh, if anything, it's gonna be an increased presence in, uh, in Manhattan. We do own a building, 150,000 foot building over in Summit, New Jersey. We do lease uh, 100,000 feet or so out on Long Island. We've got a smattering of uh, smaller um, loan offices um, in the suburbs, but nothing uh, of, of huge uh, proportion. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Thank you. Um, and it's so dear from a, a New York's uh, perspective. Uh, let me for, again remind everyone to if uh, questions, please use the chat function. We'll open up through there and um, open it up in, in just a moment. But I also wanted to uh, pose this question to James um, and from your perspective and, and what your clients directly are, are asking and looking for. Um, and, you know, and, and from an enterprise level, as well as you know, some of those bespoke um, options also. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we spent the last, well, 18 to 12 months doing nothing, but really trying to talk to heads of CRE and, and senior leadership across our clients to understand what their thinking is and what direction they're going in so we can try and support that. Um, I mean, the overriding <laughs> statement is no one, very few people have a firm direction on where their future is going to be. Um, I mean, we did a load of interviews throughout the, the pandemic. And I think the, the figure that we came out with, with basically just 7% of the businesses had a firm sort of return to work plan or future workplace strategy plan. Um, most of them had some short-term ideas of what, what they were going to do to, to Mike's point, um, encourage the employees back into the workplaces they've got. Um, and then over the coming sort of uh, number of years, as lease events uh, appear, work, work through what their, what their strategy is going to be um, in terms of do they keep those spaces, do they um, look to bring in more agility through different options, which was a, was a big factor. Um, I think the thing that, that is overriding is, is the need to be able to measure outcomes or outputs from those from those locations that either they have already or they're moving into. Um, being able to measure them, to learn from them, and then kind of make changes. Um, and traditionally, I think we're hearing the challenges being that you take something on for 10, 15 years and you've got, you're limited to what you can do within that space, particularly if you've made the, the large investment of putting it out to your relatively high normally corporate standard. Um, so what people are looking for now, what our clients are looking for is a space that allows them to either move in or out, downsize, upsize, but also within the space, um, make changes on kind of a, a fairly regular basis and not have to do that at great expense. So that seems to be the big thing, sort of a test, learn, test, measure, learn, and then react sort of cycle, which what we're hearing isn't going to be a short-term thing. It's going to be kind of the state of, of real estate going forward. Um, which I think is probably something relatively um, new, cons considering the, the fairly established industry that we're in. Good, thank you. So we, um, you know, some within the industry, um, and depending on who you talk to and, and where you are and geography and the sectors, you know, there's a, a concern that, you know, continuing or a hub and spoke model, but then also continuing in, in where we are today, you know, may disrupt corporate identities, it, it could break up company culture, um, uh, you know, really sitting in decentralized locations, creating some of those challenges and some of those 
you know, we've even talked briefly today. Um, I am going to, uh, let me open it up. So please share your camera and, um, oh, looks like he can't go on camera, but in, in audio, um, Richard from Lance Capital uh, has a question for the, the panelists. Like if Richard's on mute to uh, Richard's question to the group was whether or not um, how do you avoid spoke employees becoming you know, second class citizens or you know diluting and and uh, falling off over time in a in a in a hub and spoke model and Zach I'll turn to you first yeah I'm not sure that that you know that's one of the pieces of collateral uh, damage I think that can come from this. And I'll go back to what Mike was uh, referring to earlier. You, you, you create um, a space that, in a, that, that where people want to come in to the office. And the, I think the, the issue there is that the spoke isn't just a two-person office. I mean, if the spoke needs to have a certain amount of critical mass in there, whereby the corporate culture kind of comes through and you do have the camaraderie and the um, just the connections uh, that aren't necessarily directly into the hub, but you've got a critical mass that's, that's, that's more than just a few people. That's also obviously the danger from allowing a lot of work from home uh, proposition, which is the ultimate spoke, right? I mean, you're just out there um, on an island on your own. And so you just have to be careful. Again, this is, this is me talking. This is one of those things where it's going to take a long time for the for the results to come in and sink in as to how much deterioration of a corporate culture and growth of individuals, particularly the young folks. Um, how much how much line do you want these folks to to have in the, in the, with the ability to work from home without getting all of that from into the office? And time will tell, and, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of adjustments between now and then. Uh, I, I, I echo that point. I mean, I think it's, it's a big challenge and I think it's a, it's a great question. Um, the, the point that you made there is that there needs to be critical mass. But I think more than that, there also needs to be leadership and, and relatively senior leadership, at least at, at parts of, the, um, at parts of that, that working week. Um, I mean, what we've seen in the past with hub and spoke models is one, they've primarily been based around cost reduction, cost efficiencies. So they've been put in fairly low cost locations, which tends to mean people don't necessarily want to go there because they also haven't been invested into the same level. But equally, the, the senior leadership really haven't spent much time in those locations. And I think with whatever business you're in, people want exposure to leadership for a number of different reasons. Um, so if it's something you're, if it's a route you're going down, you're looking at, then it has to also involve sort of a, a, a HR element of making sure that senior leadership um, are present in such locations, at least on an occasional basis, um, and therefore people feel like they're part of the wider business, not just a subculture. I think that's a great, that's a great point on the, um, you know, the spoke in the past had been driven by cost, and, and for us it's more purposeful as to you're not keeping the 20-person office in Des Moines because you had a 20-person office in Des Moines, but if there's a critical mass of, of accounting talent and we think that could be a hub and there's a purpose to it, 
that's how your spoke nature of the your portfolio evolves, whether it's in and around the primary, secondary, or tertiary cities. And, and I think every organization is having that conversation now as it pertains to the leadership and how you, how you mitigate that, that divide between the, the hubs, the, the HQs and those spoke locations. And, and the fact that we're having that, you know, that narrative is present in, in leadership conversations today, it's going to be an iterative process. And, and you know, the, the panel has said it you know, a number of times, we're, we're figuring this out on the fly. And I think being conscious of that, of that divide is just the first step in, in addressing it. Great thing. So good question that just came in and I'll, I'll turn it over. Um, Connie, studio, if you could come on video and audio to ask your question, please. Sure. So um, as we, you know, people are moving to different models, uh, my question is really, what are you changing within organizations to actually measure? Um, so I've worked on a lot of workplace strategy and the, um, you can do a great build out. You can have all the right locations. Um, you can still have managers that aren't well-skilled at this, particularly in, in a hybrid type of mode or hub and spoke where, um, you know, what, so my question is what are organizations doing to train those managers or to, to get the feedback loop in terms of this so that at the end of the day, it's, it's a good experience that really works for the, the people occupying those spaces and for the overall organization that it's, you know, being used is being used well and that it's consist a consistent um, experience. Con, I, I, I can jump in really quickly on that one. Um, Connie, it's a great question. Um, going back to the strategy accelerant piece, we, we've built out a workplace uh, experience team over the last number of years that is highly focused on the change management that comes with the shift in, in work styles beyond just, hey, you're moving from building one to building two and there's a change in where you're, where you're physically located. Um, you know, I can speak for us personally. We have a, a multimodal, multi-month, communication plan that is built into every phase of this return to work. We're starting with our, our early waves now over the summer when there's, um, we're, we're essentially in beta. We're learning, uh, we're iterating as we go as to what's working from a technology, from experience, where, where the touch points are and are not happening. And we have, have proactively planned for the number of months as to how we're gonna continue checking in and following. Um, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be a technology company. It's all, we, we have QR codes and, and Monte Carlo simulations that enable us to both capture and analyze that data in real time to understand where those touch points really are and how we can continue to shift our strategy to accommodate people's actual uh, habits. So, you know, to, 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 to summarize that, it's, 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 it's not one set of training. It's not one set of here's four hours on a Friday and learn the new tools you have available, but it's, it's that continual touch point um, at least for the next six months. And, and we are highly conscious that it's going to continue well into 2022 as this, whatever, whatever this is, is our new normal, um, that hybrid type uh, work, work, workplace. Yeah. I, I, we've got the same setup. We've got a whole group uh, historically, actually that group was set up um, Prior to what Mike had said earlier, this is an accelerant. So we had a big change management organization in place and still do. Uh, their, their focus is all on return to office these days. And so there's a lot of um, 
uh, a communication around that. What I don't know uh, about is how um, we're going to monitor, we'll monitor its utilization and their patterns and all of that, but productivity and, and um, uh, I'm not quite sure how that's going to be determined. Uh, I know we will go out with some surveys as to, you know, their, their connection and how they're, how they're feeling at the office and how this is working for them and do those kinds of follow-ups. But I, I'm not, I hate to say, I'm, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do on the productivity front to find out how the future of, of, of all this compares to what it was like, you know, five days a week in the office type thing. But the one thing that, that we're seeing is that sort of from a data standpoint, companies have, tend to have a good handle on the occupancy, the day-to-day occupancy. But to say, you know, you, you, you mentioned utilization there, which for us is actually understanding how people are using that, that space and that building in terms of not necessarily at an individual level, but where a cluster is forming and where is work being done um, and what types of space are being used or not used. And I think that is something that most companies broadly speaking don't have a great handle on at the moment um, and we'll be working towards trying to gain some visibility on because if you can kind of get that then that's the next step and then I think after that then the holy grail is is productivity and elements like that which very few companies um, I mean really only those in sort of consultancy or, or that are able to bill by the hour can actually really manage from a revenue perspective at the moment um, but I, I think we'll see further development probably from the tech side on how that sort of um, element can be measured. You know, it can, it's, a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword um, in that the employees um, would like to have the flexibility and uh, some of them may want to be more flexible and work a little bit more from home. Well, and so this is the employee retention thing, right? So you, the companies are having to decide how much space or how much uh, leeway do we allow for that to retain the employee. Then on the, on the other side of the coin there, uh, the more the employee are away in, in, an, in a distant spoke, not necessarily one with critical mass, but maybe working from home a little more frequently, uh, they may start to feel a little bit more disconnected or maybe a little less loyal to that company, whereby they're more willing to uh, entertain offers to um, take their employment elsewhere and just and, and move. So. I suspect we're going to be looking at our uh, turnover rates um, going forward with all this as well. Just, just to, I guess, counter, counter that slightly, um, we're, we're seeing, and I don't know if it's the same in the US, but in the UK, certainly, the young, um, the gen, new generation coming into the workforce, there was 35% in the U, recent um, UK government survey that showed that they all, all had second jobs anyway. 35% of them had second jobs anyway. So, I mean, my, I guess where I may be being slightly controversial is how loyal are they right now? <laughs> um, because I think we're going to see an increasing rise of these sort of side hustle, side gig, whatever you want to call it, uh, and from, you know, your traditional corporate employees that wouldn't have had that sort of um, activity in the past, and I know there's legal and HR ways around that, but um, it seems to be moving in one direction in the UK. I don't know about the US. Yeah, and I, it absolutely is. It's, at, yeah, it's on the attrition rates, and, and thank you for bringing up retention. It's a, as location, 
driving more and more and from this of, of not only recruitment of talent and that talent of today and, and well into the future, but it's also that retention side and, and how location drives it. And as we continue to learn more and as we come out of this learning more and more and, and on that attrition side, so that 35% number is, is not that surprising. Um, and we saw some shifts and especially here in the New York metro area where those gig workers also were able to qualify for unemployment and just how some of that and some of the additional safety nets that didn't exist before the pandemic. Now we see the, the unemployment and some of the challenges and, and what's coming from that, but we still have one of the, um, well, we have the highest quit rate um, in, in the history of this country right now, at least since tracking. And while a lot of that is focused in leisure and hospitality and other sectors, overall across the board, even in manufacturing, um, we are at the highest point ever and, and well above normal averages and, and seeing that. And, and so more and more how location is going to drive into it as well as the rest of the engagement. Um, before we close out and uh, Stephen on, uh, Mike, any, any closing thoughts on retention and location and, and how that drives talent? I, I was just going to build that, that that's where that, that decision on where, and it's not just physically where you're located, but all the amenities and being able to cater that multi, that multi-generational talent to, 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 a you know, not only attract, but retain, um, you know, I think that's where the having a workplace that is experiential, that is special, that does drive people into the office, it enables you to really leverage that as a, a, an, a, a focus area of collaboration. And we can all think back to the early parts of our career when you got pulled in an office and you, you sat on a phone call on mute just to listen and absorb. And that's where that leadership piece comes in. And you, you're you, one as real estate executives, we need to make sure that we're helping have that dialogue and that conversation, understanding what the business needs so that we can we can address that with our real estate, you know, strategies and plans. But it, it's you know equal parts ensuring that um, you know that is not just a crutch of well the real estate isn't isn't getting it done. So I think it's it's that mixture of challenging the business as well as being a, a great partner too and finding that happy medium that creates a workplace that's purposeful that drives attraction because of how you built it out and how you designed it. And people are going to want to come. And as they as they come on their own without mandates, they're going to feel that that attraction to the company. And it will increase loyalty to a degree. You're never going to solve for attrition 100%. But the more you can curate that that environment, the more you know success you'll have long term with your top talent. Great. Thank you very much, Mike. And, and thank you to the uh, I see Stephen on here and, and as we come to the top. So, so thank you everyone for participating today. Um, thank you, James, uh, for the presentation earlier and, and major thanks to Mike and Sack for um, volunteering participating and on the panel. It's a great, robust discussion, really um, excited, very much was looking forward to it. And, uh, and thank you all. And of course, thank you to the chapter and to all of our sponsors. And I will, uh, I will turn it over to you, Stephen. Thanks, David. Steve, I think you're muted. Yep. And this is why we need offices, guys. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.